Go off the data, not your gut feeling. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. All right, everybody. Today we have Greg Mercer, who's the CEO of Jungle Scout, which helps Amazon FBA sellers find profitable product ideas, get sales data and estimates and more. Greg, how's it going? Eric, it's going great. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, I've been a longtime fan of the show, so it's awesome to get to meet you in real life in Miami, and uh, I'm glad to be here. Awesome. Thanks, man. So yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself first, and we'll jump into the company. Yeah, sure thing. So 30-second overview. After school, I went into the corporate world. I was there for a few years. That's not the scene for me. So I started selling stuff on Amazon to kind of get out of there. Shortly after that, I saw a need for a SaaS product, which I went on to create. And then that was almost two years ago now. Uh, Where I'm at today, I spend just about all my time on the SaaS product. And yeah, it's called Jungle Scout. Uh, We've actually expanded into kind of a suite of software tools for Amazon sellers. And yeah, that's what I'm working on and loving it. Great. And tell the audience, what does FBA mean? Yeah, so FBA is fulfillment by Amazon. So it's a pretty hot uh, area or trend right now. Um, it's a cool thing Amazon does where you can essentially just uh, send them all your inventory and they pick, pack, and uh, ship it to the customers and take care of all the grunt work. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, Greg and I were, uh, were speaking at this e-commerce conference, uh, called Sellers Summit. And then everybody's talking about Amazon. There's a given, you know, I'm not an e-commerce guy, but Greg is. And then I think the craze right now is in Amazon. So do you think that's going to last for a while? Do you think that's going to go away? I mean, what, what's your take on all that? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. Uh, I wish I had a crystal ball to know for sure, but if I had to guess, I would say I think it would definitely be it'll be a hot opportunity uh, for a few more years. It's it's almost like too good to be true, you know, like real low barrier of entry. Uh, right now, you can make a lot of money off of it, so those types of things can't last forever. But if I had to guess, I think it's just such a huge marketplace and channel that it'll be a good opportunity for at least a few more years. And then maybe after that, maybe some of the other uh, marketplaces in other countries. Got it. Okay. So let's say, you know, I, I'm working a job, uh, you know, I, I don't like my job, or maybe I just graduated from college, or maybe I dropped out and I, I hate school. So, you know, walk me through how Amazon or Jungle Scout would, would help me. Yeah. So Jungle Scout is a product research tool. So We've aggregated a whole bunch of data off Amazon. So essentially, we know what's selling well and what isn't too competitive and so forth and all these other key metrics that you look for. So Jungle Scout will identify the opportunities that are good for you on Amazon. And then from there, you can go on to find a factory, uh, get it manufactured, send it into uh, Amazon and so forth. Got it. Okay. And if I'm starting out, you know, how much capital do I need to get going? Yeah, so I guess that uh, I would say is one of the only downsides, unlike building like an affiliate site or a niche site or something. Honestly, it requires, I'd say, probably a couple thousand dollars or more to uh, order your first batch of inventory. Got it. Okay. And how, do, how does Jungle Scout make money? 
Yeah, so um, Jungle Scout, we actually have uh, two different tools. One is a traditional SaaS uh, product with a, a monthly fee. We also have a, a Chrome extension, which is a one-time flat fee. Wonderful. Okay, and, and so if I'm using the Chrome extension, that allows me to find you know uh, you know niche ideas. And is there, I guess, is it just to have the? Is it just because you know it's a Chrome extension, so I can uh, have the convenience of clicking it there, or do I like go to a website and find specific information there? I guess how does that Chrome extension work? The Chrome extension works inside of uh, when you're browsing the Amazon store. So at any point on any page on Amazon, you can click the little Chrome extension, it pops up, and it shows you you know the number of sales these products make uh, and other key metrics, just like the Amazon fees, the net after Amazon fees, and just some other data that Amazon sellers would be looking for. So it's really user friendly. It's like a great UX because you know Amazon sellers, you're spending a lot of time on Amazon.com looking at other products, looking at ideas. So it's really nice to just click that little button and then like bam, you have this window with uh, all the information you'd be looking for. Basically, it's like a, like a Google Analytics that you can use to, to kind of search around Amazon, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yep. Cool. All right. So walk me through some numbers around the business day. You know, how are you guys doing? How many customers do you have and all that? Yeah, so we, we've been growing really fast lately. We now have over 30,000 customers. That's a mix of the uh, the SaaS product and the Chrome extension. So some of those customers are just the one-time fee. As far as the team goes, I think we're, there's 17 people on our team now. Okay, great. And I guess, you know, walk me through your revenues. Are you, you know, plus or minus uh, 2 million a year? We're plus 2 million a year. Got it. Okay, awesome. So you said you had uh, how many paying customers again? Over 30,000. Over 30K. Okay, that's what, that's what I thought. So how did you go about acquiring, let's just say, your first thousand customers? Ah, good question. So I just to start, this is my first software product. I had no idea whether anyone was going to even like this or so forth. So sorry. So when it was pre-launch, uh, when it was really rough, buggy, terrible, I shot a video of it and I just started posting it in a few groups and Facebook groups that I was active in with other Amazon sellers. So these are areas that uh, people already kind of knew me. I was pretty active in there. I was really good about giving out free information and content. I kind of just asked, hey, would anyone like this? So that's how I acquired my first like 50 or 100 customers. And the during that phase when we did a lot of product development made the tool a lot better. I'd say to get from 100 to 1,000, uh, a lot of it was from uh, webinars and uh, producing uh, helpful content and so forth. Not till we got bigger than that did we start uh, focusing more, or not focusing more, but even getting into more uh, paid traffic and some other channels. Okay. And how did you go about promoting these webinars initially? So at the time, you know, we had a really small list, really small community. So I did it with outreach to other influencers. So uh, I would go to people who were teaching Amazon courses or maybe had another tool for Amazon sellers that we didn't compete with and so forth. I'd say, hey, you know, can I help you? Or, you know, can I do a webinar with your audience? They got an affiliate payment as well as I'm not the type to like hard sell anything by any means. So essentially like a one hour webinar, it'd be like 50 minutes of just action packed, like knowledge bombs. And then the last 10 minutes I'd be like, Oh, Hey, well, I also have this tool. Uh, it could help you out a little bit, you know, if you're interested in it, uh, if not, no big deal. So I think if you go with kind of more that strategy, influencers are more likely to let you run webinars with their list and so forth. If you're not just some like, you know, annoying sales guy, right? <laughs> totally. And what, what kind of commission were you giving to uh, these affiliates? Yeah. So like with our SaaS product, we do a hundred percent of uh, the first month as a payment with the extension. We do like uh, just 20 bucks flat fee. Got it. Okay. Awesome. Now, the, the the whole webinar thing, I mean, you know, I guess 
did you guys stop doing it? Are you guys continuing to push it right now? Because I know there's a lot of people doing, you know, repeating webinars right now and they're making, you know, six, seven figures a year. Yeah. So we still, we do probably, uh, four, maybe six webinars per month. Some of those are for our audience now, you know, people that don't have our tools or only have one of our tools or so forth. And then, uh, yeah, we're still doing it with other people's uh, audiences as well. So, uh, that's still one of our, you know, best sales channels, I would say, are, you know, like the conversions after that are really high with, I think any tool, you know, if you can show someone like, Oh, here, here's how you do it without the tool. It's really uh, terrible and slow and painstaking. And, uh, so, you know, like if you go over 30 minutes, how to do it without anything and it's like, Oh, or you can click this one button uh, and it does all that for you. I think it's like a pretty strong sales message and something that seemed to, seems to resonate really well. Yeah. That's super smart. So it sounds like the content is basically like, here's a bunch of tips and you kind of show them the manual way. And it's like, Oh, here's at the, by the way, at the end, like you, you can skip all this manual crap. Like I have something that's way better. Is that kind of how it works. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think I actually kind of learned that from like lead pages, right? Like if you listen to a, a webinar or a podcast they're on, they're like, yeah, these are all the tips to, uh, to make really good landing pages. We even give you like free, the free HTML or whatever, or like if, just forget all that crap and just uh, here, you just sign up and you just like click three buttons and you have a landing page. Oh, that's so smart. I, I'm actually, uh, we have a SaaS product coming out and I think I might need to re-listen to this podcast. So thanks for that. <laughs> sure thing. So on your webinars, you know, what, you know, what type of conversion rate are you seeing at the end? How many people are buying? So it kind of depends a little bit what, uh, you know, of course what the audience is, how target they are and so forth. But, um, it's not out of the question to do like uh, 20 or 25% conversions for the people who show up. And then we'll usually have uh, about a third of people sign up, will show up live. And then we'll have additional sales after the webinar, watching the replay. But the, that conversion percentage usually isn't as high. That is nuts. Just, just to let everyone know, I mean, there's there's a lot of great webinar people out there, and they're thrilled when they can get conversion rates up to ten percent. You know, typically it's we're talking around five to ten percent, but like, I mean, you know, you, you have to look at first of all, you know, Greg's a, Greg's obviously a good speaker, and then it, there's a, it's a good product as well, and it's not that expensive at the same time, which kind of leads, um, which is kind of what drives your conversion rate that high, right? Yeah, I think that's probably true. Uh, especially like at our extension, you know, one time fee. That one's like a super low barrier of entry, right? To get people kind of in our ecosystem, it packs a lot of value, you know, for the price. So yeah, I'm sure that's part of the reason the conversions are so high. Okay, what would you say is the most effective thing you're doing right now in terms of customer acquisition today? We've started to really dial in our uh, retargeting for Facebook ads. That's doing really well. But besides that. Probably just our influencer outreach and then all of the, the content we put out. So we put out like some really high quality content. We spend a lot of time and money on it. We do some like really cool like case studies and all kinds of stuff. So a combination of those three. Okay. So walk me through a case study. I mean, how, how, how many words is it typically and how much are you spending on a case study? Yeah. So example, one case study we did, uh, we actually started it in all the way back in October. So we're in the middle of the summer now. And with this case study, we uh, did the product research for a product. We found a supplier. You know, we, we got the product. We launched it on Amazon. We've done uh, pay-per-click. We've optimized it and so forth. And then above all that, the products on Amazon right now, you can search for marshmallow sticks and there's bamboo marshmallow sticks called jungle sticks. <laughs> and that's a case study we've done. And it's, it's gone really well. So, I mean, we've we invested a ton amount of time in that because we were doing like weekly webinars as well as a follow-up blog post that were like two or 3,000 words. And it's all just like really high quality stuff with screenshots we're even like donating all the money uh, to a charity, which is pretty cool. So yeah, we, you know, we're, we put a lot of effort into that. 
Okay. And how much are you typically spending money wise for like a case study? It's kind of hard to say because like our in-house guys are doing it, you know? So like, I'm not really like paying one person to create that content. It's just like me and the other guys, you spend some time on it, you know, but I mean, that case study has cost us, us like tens of thousands of dollars. Got it. Okay. Yeah. That, that's what I thought. I mean, you know, typically people are paying, you know, either four or five figures for, for something that's super detailed. So I, I think you're well within that range. So I want to talk a little bit about the business. Now you, you said you, you mentioned earlier that you, this is the first software product that you've built, you know, with basically zero experience. So walk us through, you know, kind of the, the, the pains that you had to go through to, to kind of get to where you are. Yeah. So for me, coming from like a non-technical background, I'd say all my greatest pains had to do with the, the technical side and the engineering side of it. So when we originally got started, I had one developer that he probably would have been fine if I was like a technical guy and I knew how to like manage uh, him or developers a little better. He ended up not working out. I think I kind of lucked out with the next developer I got because he was a really good fit for me, like not knowing so much of the technical side. He was really sharp, communicated with me really well. So since then, it's been good because he's, you know, it's kind of taken over like the lead developer role, helped us, you know, with our additional hires and so forth. But yeah, I mean, we've hit all kinds of little uh, <laughs> snags along the way, right? Just like any business or especially like a quickly growing business goes. But yeah, I'd say most of them for me were kind of more technical stuff. Okay. And how did you go about finding these, I guess, the first two developers? Yeah. So the first developer I got off. Upwork or Elance. In the past, I guess I've tried to like uh, build a few like really small software products projects like for myself, like little software tools. So I had, I wasn't quite so naive that like I was just hiring anyone from uh, a low cost country, expect expecting them to you know be like the best engineer in the world. However, I wasn't detailed as, sh- as I should have been as far as communication and uh, scope and wireframes and all that go. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's one of the things, you know, sometimes like you, you expect them to just kind of know everything. And sometimes you get, you know, for, for me, at least I'll, I'll get lazy and say, hey, I, I don't even think about the wireframes. I just I just expect them to download what I have in my brain. But that's just not how they work. Right. <laughs> no, I, I guess. Um, and I'm sure, you know, that's like a developer's worst nightmare. right? Like if you send them an email trying to describe the project you want and expect them to build it. I think that's what I did. I like in my first ever, you know, little tools I was trying to build for myself and that's not quite how a developer's brain works. Right. And I guess that's how us marketers are. I mean, we just like, well, well, well hey, here's a few links and then here's a few bullet points. Go do it. But that's not how it works. Um, so <laughs> right. I guess that, that leads into another thing. You know, that that's a mistake, you know, I, I've made in the past. I mean, what's one thing you learned that I guess, you know, I, I guess once one mistake you would avoid in the future at all costs, you know, working with developers? I would have to say like right from the get go before I even tried to hire them, I would develop like really good wireframes, uh, like really good instructions. I'd probably go as far as like pointing to this button and when you click it, it's supposed to go to that page and so forth. So just devoting a lot more time into the wireframes from the get go is pretty much a necessity. It's going to save you time in the long run. Right. So just being a lot more specific, right? Absolutely. Okay. Great. Tell us about one big struggle you faced while growing the business. We talked about the developers a little bit, but is there anything else you faced that was that that could have you know killed the business? <laughs> That's a good question. Something that I wish I did, um, and I guess this could have potentially killed the business, but I wish uh, from the get go. As soon as I started to pick up a little bit of momentum, I started to think like, okay, what's this business going to look like in three years or five years or 10 years from now? Um, instead, like I was just like, oh yeah, it's making a little bit of money. So like, let's just think about what we need to do these next few weeks instead of like really planning um, into the future. 
I probably would have tried to maybe like structure things a little differently or possibly hire a little differently or so forth if I from the get-go started with a, a longer term you know outlook uh, on the business. I think that's important. Okay, you just mentioned you, you said you would have hired a little differently. What do you mean by what do you mean by that? So I guess. Uh, so I guess where we're at right now is, you know, now we're creating like a few other tools and we're in a little bit of, I would say maybe like an awkward phase where it's like, we kind of start to need like a little bit of like middle management, you know, like right now, kind of like everyone's almost reporting to me and it's like too many for our one tool. I tried to hire like a project manager, which he's doing a really good job. Uh, but I feel like there's, and it's my fault. There's just like a little bit of confusion, like in the structure of the company, I think about kind of like, you know, like who reports to who or something along those lines. I think we can get away with it because everyone on our team are like all stars and like really sharp and self-motivated and so forth. But as we continue to grow, I need to think about that more and structure that better. Okay. And how big is the team right now? Uh, there's 17 of us. 17. Okay. So well, let's talk about, I mean, you know, the, the setup of your team and I, I guess we can jump into, um, well, one thing I really want to talk about a little bit, but you know, you found your developers. Um, it sounds like, you know, there's from sites like Upwork and then I, I guess maybe referrals and things like that. But, um, you know, other people from your team, how did you go about finding them? Yeah. So, so yeah, once I found my one really good developer, since then we've hired all the developers inside of his network. And so we're actually like a distributed company, but all of our dev team is in Vancouver because my initial uh, developer was in Vancouver and he hired through uh, just people he knew through his network or, you know, he went to like the Ruby on Rails meetups and he met people there or like some guys I think he went to like boot camp with. So that's how we've hired all the developers. So he's been a tremendous help as far as that goes. As far as hiring other people, I think we've used uh, Flex Jobs. Uh, I think we found a few of our customer service reps through there. Our marketing manager, again, he was we hired him through actually an email I sent out to the list. So he was uh, an addition, or he was a Jungle Scout user at one point. Yeah, so a combination of just different jobs. Actually, when we were in Miami, uh, you had recommended to me uh, AngelList, and I actually have a, a position on there right now. So I'm going to see how that works out. Awesome. Yeah, you're going to love it. So yeah, I mean, the, the structure of your team, is everybody full-time? Do you have contractors? How does that made that? Yeah, so everyone's uh, full-time, except we have one developer that's part-time just because he does like a little more like specialized tasks. I don't think he wanted to be full-time anyway, but part-time he helps on a little bit more like complicated architecture type stuff that he's really good at. All right. So one thing I want to jump into uh, before I jump back into the team a little bit, tell us about, you have a very unique lifestyle um, and I want you to tell everybody about kind of how you live and then uh, I guess how you approach kind of, I, I guess life in general. So go for it. Yeah. So I'm doing the whole uh, digital nomad thing, which I think is uh, like a fancy term someone made up for just being homeless. Uh, so I have no long-term lease anywhere. My wife and I, we travel together. We bounce around from Airbnb to Airbnb. So I've been doing that for about a year and a half, maybe two years now. So yeah, now now we usually spend uh, one or maybe two months in a the city, then we'll go on to a new one. So yeah, I'm having a lot of fun doing that. It is uh, definitely helps with the, the creativity and, you know, being in new places, meeting new people, going to new co-working spaces. I'm really enjoying it a lot. Okay. And how do you, I mean, when you, you know, when you're living this lifestyle, I'm sure you're doing a ton of research on finding the right places to go to and all that. So what's one resource you can share? Nomadlist.com or I, actually might be .io, but Nomadlist. It's a really cool website. Actually, they, they've, 
there's like thousands of cities all around the world on there and people rank and vote them for uh, how good the Wi-Fi is, the cost of living there, the quality of food. They even have on there like air quality or if it's a beach town or uh, even if they have Uber or not. So these are all the things you can you know filter through to find which cities are good for you. So tell us about one, you know, one crazy experience could be positive or negative, you know, that you faced while doing this whole digital nomad thing for the last one and a half years. Ah, uh, crazy. <laughs> Not work related at all, but we were in Cambodia last year. I, this is just the first thing that came to my mind, but uh, <laughs> there you can, I guess, like help the government dispose of old ammunition. So you can shoot like rocket launchers and throw grenades and shoot these huge machine guns <laughs> and all kinds of stuff like that. So uh, that's a pretty unique, uh, interesting, and fun experience. Cool. Tell me more about that. I mean, like, how, how does it feel <laughs> to shoot like a rocket launcher? Yeah, so you just go to go to like the military base in Cambodia, and um, you essentially like order off a menu. Like, oh, I have three uh, bazooka shots and two hand grenades and a hundred uh, rounds and a fifty cal. Everything's priced accordingly. It's not too expensive, and then yeah, I mean, they just uh, show you how to shoot it and fire away. Jeez, I'm sure if you're clumsy like me, you probably like blow your own head off. Like, <laughs> look at the rocket launcher. I mean, did it make you sign like a waiver? Uh, I don't think we signed a waiver. <laughs> this is Cambodia. It's like a little more um, the the wild, wild west. But yeah, they um, it was pretty lax and <laughs> it was pretty cool. Cool. Yeah. So tell us about. I mean, you know, you're, you're traveling all the time. Your your team knows that you're you're different. You're, I guess you're in different spots. I guess what you you settle down, so it's, it's it's not like you're moving around a lot, right? But I guess how do you go about managing a remote team? Yeah, good question. So. You know, I don't think it, I don't know if this is the best way, but it's working pretty well for us so far. Is we're we're really good about kind of like communication and project management. So you know, like all of our technical tasks are in Pivotal Tracker, all of our uh, marketing tasks are in Trello. Uh, we of course have Slack and it's integrated with everything, so that's really cool. But just some like little things that we do that I think help a lot is all the devs at the end of every day give like a daily report what they uh, completed that day. I think that holds them accountable, keeps the rest of the team kind of in the loop. Also, as simple as we have, you know, like Bitbucket and Trello and everything else integrated into Slack. So like when you finish a marketing task, you know, it gets archived and then there's a little notification in uh, Slack that that got done. So that kind of helps anyone see what everyone else is working on at any day. You could kind of like, it's almost like a newsfeed for a business, right? You could kind of read like, oh, uh, what did we get done today and so forth. So it's good because everyone knows what's going on. Uh, it holds everyone accountable to make sure you're getting you know stuff done on a daily basis. We don't do anything like track hours or uh, you don't even have to work certain hours a day or anything like that. Everyone's just you know kind of like graded based off performance and how much they get done. And for for us, it works really well. I think it does take a certain type of person to work well on a remote team. And we've, I think I've gotten pretty good at kind of like picking out those characteristics and uh, the people we hire, you know, we try to make sure that uh, they will be a good remote worker. Okay. What are some examples of those characteristics that you look for in a remote worker? Yeah. So it has to be someone who's really like self-driven and can just like get stuff done, right? Like, doesn't have the you know excuses. Uh, they can Google anything and teach themselves anything and just like get stuff done. And yeah, I mean, just like I think the most important thing is just really self-driven. Just like really wants to see the company exceed. Really wants to see us like grow our user base. Really wants to pump out more content and just make our customers happier and so forth. Interesting. Okay. And what does a day in the life of Greg look like typically? 
Uh, so I work quite a bit, you know, like when we first started traveling a year and a half or two years ago, uh, I think I'd recently read the four hour work week and I had this plan, you know, I was like, man, I'm only going to work like 10 or 20 hours a week because I can now I'm going to hang out on the beaches and whatever that lasted for like two weeks. And I was like, this sucks. <laughs> and what I found is, you know, like that's what I think kind of society tells us like, Oh, you need to, uh, take more breaks and relax and this and that. But like, I just love working. I love working on this stuff and like seeing the business grow. It's like the ultimate strategy game, right? You know, like what decisions are we going to make and how is it going to impact the business? And it's just so fun for me. So I work probably like 12, maybe more hours a day on the weekends. I like to see like kind of whatever city we're in. So we'll go out, do some little touristy things or experience local culture and eat the food and so forth. But yeah, the typical day is mostly work. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, um, you know, when you love work, I mean, that it's fun, right? So when I, when I'm like watching TV or whatever, I actually start feeling guilty and I want to go back to work. Right. Not because it's, it's like, you know, work is like, you know, I'm clamped to it or I have to do it, but it's just because it's fun. So totally agree with you. A couple questions on my end, just to, we're, I guess we're getting close to wrapping up here. What's one big change you made in the last year that has impacted you or your business in a big way? Good question. One change. I would say one change or something that like really impacted us a lot was when I did hire like our marketing manager. And he's like a super sharp guy. I think I was kind of like hesitant to because I was like really like handing over a lot of the reins to him. But I mean, the guy was he's definitely without a doubt smarter than me. And since then, we've really been able to grow. You know, that's like freed up my mind from working on some of that stuff. So the the hirings, I think, is what's changed it the most. Okay. Yeah. I, I think in the beginning, you know, especially when you think you're doing things good or uh, I'll just use myself as an example, you can entrepreneurs can do a lot at the same time. Right. And, you know, especially the marketing stuff, cause that drives revenues. And, you know, I guess, you know, you have a marketing background. I have one too. It's, it's, you start to be like, you know, well, who's going to do it better to me? It's, it's, it's gotta be me. Right? right. But when you hand it off, you realize you can actually do on the thing. You can work on the things that actually drive the vision forward. Is that kind of the idea? Yeah, without a doubt. So now, you know, I have more time to, like I said, like plan more into the future and like, okay, what are, what are the strategic moves we're going to make? Um, for us, it was, uh, to build like two, uh, other apps that we can, uh, market to our existing community and user base. So, you know, without that, we might not have made that move and yeah. Right. That's smart because I mean, you have to build these other apps. I mean, um, because you guys have a lot of one-off customers, I imagine churn, churn would be, you know, a little higher than typical because people will just use it once, cancel, use it once again, and then, and then keep, keep doing that. Right. So you have these other products that will help kind of offset that. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that, that was the idea behind it. Um, like you said, our churn is pretty bad and we've constantly been trying to do things and improve that. But at some point, I think it's like, you know, a product research tool. A lot of people are just going to use it to find a few products and then not again. So yeah, that is one of our long-term strategies is to, yeah, instead kind of move them into some other tools. You know, I think it seemed like everyone that was canceling was really happy with it. They just didn't quite need it anymore. They're kind of like onto the next phase. Right. And then they, instead they were saying like, I don't really need this anymore, but what I'm really looking for is this. So we decided to help them out and build those tools. Cool. So I'm imagining you're just looking through all the data. You have all these people are just, you, you start to see kind of a, you know, consistencies in terms of what people are looking for. And you just started building that, right? Yeah. So we're actually, we're pretty good about um, like surveying our audience and our list or having a, uh, a little like Qualaroo box that pops up and ask them questions and stuff. So I think we have like a pretty good handle on what our customers think and what they want and so forth. So actually I should have thought about that when you were asking me some of those uh, questions earlier about like one thing you can do. I would say uh, like if you're starting to get like a, a pretty big audience or a list or 
group, one really high impact thing you can do is uh, start surveying them, like see what they want, see what you can do to make your product better. And a lot of times you'll be surprised. That was actually like one of the smartest things I've ever done because I was actually going to at one point build a, a totally different app that, you know, me personally, I was like, oh man, everyone will love this. This would be like the greatest thing ever. Uh, and I gave him like 10 options of problems that I thought they might want to solve. And the thing that I thought they'd want the most was like the least voted option. Like nobody would have bought it. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Same, so, same thing here, man. You, you never know. You, you think you know best, but at the end of the day, like we actually know nothing. Exactly. So just, um, just listen, <laughs> go off the data, not your gut feeling. Love it. Okay. Two more questions from my end. What's one must read book you'd recommend? I just got done reading Elon Musk's biography and, um, I'd recommend anyone to read it. It was pretty awesome. Got me thinking like much bigger, you know, it's like, well, man, what's after, you know, maybe like my SAS career, or, you know, like got me kind of thinking 10 or 20 years from now. So yeah, I, I'd recommend that. It was pretty great. I love it. Yeah. It's really hard to compare anybody to Elon Musk because first of all, electric cars, rocket ships, right? PayPal and then solar. So it's kind of crazy and Hyperloop and all that. But yeah, great book. Um, I'll I'll plus one that one. What's one publication or blog that you tune into every day? I like Groove's blog. Uh, They're a remote team. So it's, um, I think they're at GrooveHQ.com. It's a a customer support tool. And they're really good about blogging about how to be a remote team or what works for them. I've I've gotten a lot of tips from them. So I like that one quite a bit. I think they publish like three times a week. I always read it as soon as they come out. Love it. Cool. Well, Greg, this has been great. What's the best way for people to find you online? The best way is at Jungle Scout. I'm really active in the blog there. Or Of course, you can always tweet me at Mercer underscore Greg. All right, Greg. Thanks so much for doing this. Eric, sure thing. I appreciate you bringing me on. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.